uh, to your spot. Um, I want to talk to you about compassion, all right? Now, uh, I don't think it's very compassionate for me to get this out. There we go. And just to give it to one of you kids, is it? There's, there's four parts of it. How far would that go? Four kids, just a little piece, right? Let's see. I think there's four pieces on here. Yeah, there, there's, there's four pieces on there. Oh, wait, now there's, there's three. But the thing is, when I broke that off, it didn't multiply did it. Now I'm in trouble. I'm going to try to preach. I'm eating candy. Um, but Matthew chapter, let me find my notes here. As I eat on my chocolate, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. If you just take a little time and read through the Gospels, and anybody ever read through Matthew in one sitting, or, you know, and, you know, sitting down and reading through it all at once, or trying to read through it all at once in one morning, or afternoon, or evening? I encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to kind of do an overview today, but in Matthew 15, 32, I find it interesting and Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. They didn't even have a Hershey bar. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd jesus we have this hershey bar it only it does split you know i found the there's a commercial and one old fella says i like the big hershey bars because you can break them off and share them with people right you can have compassion on them and share but jesus's compassion went farther but the disciples like we only got one hershey bar you know we only have so much food there's far too many people. A lot more people that, that were there with them that are here with us today, right? But Jesus did something miraculous and fed them all. Uh, it goes on, 34, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and and started to give them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full, uh, baskets full and those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Um, but the thought here is they had ca compassion. What if you had enough food? Would you share? Kids? What if you had a big old candy bar and you have brothers and sisters and it's easy to break those little pieces off? Would you share? 
would you have compassion? You know, with Jesus, when he had compassion on the masses, he would continue to teach even though he was tired. He would continue to preach. He would continue to heal. And then he would feed them. And he would do it in a miraculous way that instead of having less food, more. And when we have compassion on people and try to point them to Jesus, we receive far more than we give. I want you to think about, just think about uh, a Hershey bar. When you think about a Hershey bar, think about when Jesus fed 4,000 plus men and women. That's not the only time he did it. And had extra left over that he cared about people. So you look at that Hershey bar, you think, I can break those pieces off. I need to care about those around me. And if I care about those around me, I should point them to who? To Jesus. You have one of those? Yeah. So you could share one. I was just saying, what a, it, you know, we're getting close to Easter, right? Good Friday and Easter, we're looking at what Jesus is doing uh, in the Bible, what he did in his ministry. And kids, I just want to help you to see there's simple things in life that can draw our attention back to Jesus, even a Hershey candy bar. And think about, what can I do to serve others? What can I do to point others to Jesus? And in first place, do I have compassion? Do I care? Do you care about other people? Or is it all about ourselves, me? And so let's pray, kids. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us and not only what you've done for us on the cross and that you died on the cross to pay for our sins, to give us eternal life, to free us from the penalty of our sins, um, but you gave us this example, Lord, of caring for others. And there's a lot we don't know, Lord, a lot the kids don't know, but I pray that they know you. And that no matter what the complexities are to the answers that people are seeking, that we'll at least do the right thing and care about them and give them the one true answer. It's you, Lord Jesus. Help us to know how to, to live in a way that says, I love Jesus and I love you. And I pray that these kids will grow up to know love and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to look at uh, the passages today that I've selected, it's uh, important for us to, to remember that we're drawing closer to Easter. Um, and as we prepare for Easter, I want to just walk us through uh, a little bit of the journey of Jesus' journey as he marched towards that cross, as he continued to minister to the masses Regardless of how tiring it had to be, he had compassion on the masses, on the people. He cared about them, no matter what was going on in his life. And I'll be honest with you this week, I was up and down, my poor wife and family, emotionally. I love kids. And sometimes when you teach, I think about, I mean, even people that show up today, I think about, 
uh, our college students or ones not in college anymore and they're grown up, they used to be little, and we used to try to teach them about Jesus. And now they're grown and most of them move off. I guess my struggle is, oh, you know, we, we do all this work in children's ministries and then they're gone. <laughs> Lord, they're gone. It could be discouraging. Or we could talk to some that we had hope for, you know, went to the pancake feed. I was hopeful for some young men. Uh, none of you here. <laughs> and they have up and down days, and you wonder, are they going to continue to live for the Lord? Or are they going to go their own way with the successes that they have? And the challenge is, to continue to look to the Lord and serve him first and foremost and continue to have compassion on the kids. With good news, uh, our older group, we're lower in numbers. It's been easier and the kids are really interested in the lessons, but we've lost a lot of numbers. I don't know why. And maybe that's where part of my uh, sadness comes from to begin with. But even if they're trouble, we want them to know Jesus, right? Even if it's easier now with a few of them gone, not coming, we want them to come, don't we? We want them to hear the gospel, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at one of our youth leader there, uh, ground zero, and you could get torn with this, but there's positives in ministry, and then there's negatives that, that can bring you down, and I was just wondering about, even before some of these incidents, um, what was it like for Jesus? We know, right? We grew up going to, many of us growing to, going to Sunday school or reading uh, the Gospels and, and understanding Jesus had a good ministry. And a lot of times, though, I still think about how profound that ministry had to be as he healed many, as he was casting out demons, as people were flocking to hear what he said. But we do know there was a lot of negatives. There's a lot of things I believe that could have brought Jesus down. And you look at the, the Gospels, you see some of these ta things take place. You know what he'd often do? He'd go off and pray. He'd go off by himself and he'd pray. He had, even he who is the Son of God, who is co-equal with the Father, I believe there were discouragements. I believe that there were and we know there were controversies. People would not turn to him as they should have. Um, and we had good discussion in one of the Sunday school classes about some of that. But we could say that there were setbacks. But were they? <laughs> we know better, right? Because Jesus overcame all the obstacles to his ministry. And um, one of the words that I found this week was impetus. Um, that is really going beyond the obstacles or letting those obstacles become your inspiration and going above and beyond. Today, let's look at the powerful ministry of Jesus or that the reality for all of us that the negatives are positives in the hands of Jesus. The negatives are positives in the hands of Jesus. Okay, we're all here, we're all sitting, except me. 
right? You made it. And for some of us, that's good job, families. Some of us may not have families, and we still made it. All right. Got out of bed. You got here. Now you can just relax and listen to the word. Be encouraged. But even the the struggle to get here, uh, we need to give that to Jesus. Any of those negatives. It's good to be here. It's good to be here to worship the Lord. And it's good on those tough days to give all those negatives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But even coming to church, that can be difficult. So the negatives are positives in the hands of Jesus. And let's first note the opposition. Let's look at all these negatives. And first by looking at the opposition. Um, The main passage that I want you to see is Matthew 13, 16. Matthew 13, 16. It says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Now, as we get in Matthew 13, we may come back and look at these parables about the kingdom of heaven. But in all of this, he began to speak in parables because many were not seeing what they should see or hearing what they should hear. And so it became more difficult for them to see and hear as he began to preach in parables. But those who did see, those who do hear are blessed. And for all of you who have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to just think about how great of a blessing it is to know him. How great of a blessing it is, even if there's a lot of negatives in your lives, to hand those over to him. Because really they are positives. And so let's look at his ministry and how Jesus, you know, can relate, (laughs) or we can maybe on a small scale possibly relate to what he had to go through. And so the opposition to Jesus' ministry, let's look at that first. And in Matthew 12, and we're going to jump back and forth, and, and, and earlier this year we began in Matthew a little bit, going through some of the texts, and then we were, we were kind of sidetracked. We spent a little bit of time in Matthew 24. And now we're going to kind of go uh, just an overview of his ministry as we march towards uh, Good Friday and Easter. And in Matthew 12, 46 through 50 is a fascinating passage. There's a lot of, of conjecture that we can um, come up with and, and um, a lot of things that we really uh, would like to know, but what we do know is that there were family concerns or, or the family was still a part or wanted to be a part of Jesus' life. And so in 46, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. And so whatever it was that they had come to talk to him about, whether it was their concerns, here we have Jesus in his ministry, he's trying to preach, he's trying to teach, and now he has family there, slowing down him in the middle of a lesson of his teaching. 
But Jesus answered and the answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. The point being here is that those who follow the Lord Jesus, those who seek the Father's will, are his family and that they are of top concern at that moment in verse 50. But whatever they were there for, his primary concern was a ministry at that moment. Now, for me, and as you look at Scripture, we do know that some will have to deny their family so that they can follow Christ because it's going to cause a wedge between them to seek to follow Jesus, right? Jesus must always be first. But for those with families who know Jesus, it doesn't mean that your ministry comes before your family. And this could be something of some discussion but I see it in Scripture as my responsibility as husband is that first Jesus is always the one that takes top concern or first place in my life. Then it's my wife. And then it's the kids. It's not the other way around. It's not the kids and wife. Then ministry and my vocation. I think that's biblical, and we can go through it sometime if you'd like, but there's a lot of scripture to point out. It's a fine balancing act to know where ministry is taking place of my family or where family is taking place of my love for Lord Jesus. And so if Jesus has called me to a ministry and then I'm doing more to love my family and do this, and that, that means even though ministry should be not as important as my family, that I'm actually not putting the Lord first in my life. See that? That's a little confusing maybe. But if we denigrate ministry so much that we're never involved in ministry, then we need to evaluate whether the Lord Jesus is really first in our lives before our families. It's a balancing act. And so it's hard to say, well, this is right and this is wrong. But here in this passage, the real idea, and there's a lot of teaching we could go over on this, but, but first, there's even good things in our lives that can hinder us and depress us or discourage us in ministry and serving the Lord, Right? And that balancing act can be very difficult. And I believe there was a a balancing act for Jesus in his life. And there's a lot that we're missing out on in this passage. I understand that. I want to kind of do an overview. So, So forgive me if we're not getting into some of the finer details here this morning. But let's also look at another opposition to his ministry. Some of these some of the opposition is head on. Some of it is slight concerns. In 12.2, back up just a little bit in 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of the grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful for to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and 
he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate and the consecrated bread. And then we jump down just a little bit to verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is the law supposed to do? What, are the, what is the Old Testament supposed to do? It's supposed to point these people to Jesus who is Lord of the Sabbath. And there's a lot of teaching there. We've had great discussions in Sunday school class. But I would submit to you that one of the problems here is legalism. Legalism. Just as an example throughout the New Testament here of, of why they would not turn to Jesus Christ is because they were caught up not just in the real law of the Old Testament, but the many laws that they surrounded the real law with. And they could not see Jesus for who he is because of it. Instead of being led to Jesus, they were being led to oppose Jesus, and so they opposed Jesus because of the legal, their legalistic tendencies. And Jesus uses the time of David and his men when they ate the consecrated their showbread to, to point out, the, out that their exception. Don't, the exception is don't forget God's grace. Don't let your hearts become hard. And so verses 1 through 8 here in verse 8, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. We are saved by grace through faith in the one and only name under heaven by which men are given to be saved, as it says in Acts 16, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only was he, his ministry opposed by legalism, but also by tradition, cultural tradition. Look to 15, Matthew 15. Yes, we're jumping all over uh, the place here this morning. Matthew 15, 1 and 2. Um, write these passages down. Go back, look at them. There's a lot that we can learn from these passages. And in Matthew 15, it says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from, from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. Uh, and it goes on, but you guys, have ma they've made this tradition, this rule that they could they could give money and they could do this or that and instead of taking care of their parents, which they are told to do. And so he points out that they're breaking their own tradition, their, their law because of the tradition. They're saying you're breaking tradition. And some of this religious tradition, not just cultural tradition, which we get into cultural tradition instead of religious tradition, and we still place that above or before Jesus Christ. And here we find another opposition to his ministry, tradition. And really, not only should have the law pointed them to Jesus, but their tradition should have pointed to Jesus. Their response to Jesus in general here is to not accept him, not accept anything that was pointing them to where they should have been, that is to believe in Jesus Christ. And so the reality is that throughout his, his ministry, throughout his journey, 
as he marched towards the cross, there were little and major oppositions to it. When we would expect his ministry to, to go smoothly, other than growing up, reading and, and learning about it again in Sunday school, learning that it wasn't, uh, we would have thought, just looking at who Jesus is, just looking at the mir- miraculous things that were done and the powerful messages that he gave, that the Lord Jesus' ministry would have never been opposed, would have never ran into problems. But the simple question is, did any opposition to Jesus' ministry slow it down? Did it slow it down? No. There was opposition. There was struggle. But did it slow it down? So the negatives are positives in the hands of Jesus. What slows? So how about this? You could write this in your notes. What slows us down in serving the Lord and serving others? Now, this may mean menial tasks of doing good works, but also serving the Lord, serving others, teaching the word, encouraging others in the Lord. Many things that we could say is ministry. What slows us down in serving the Lord first and foremost and in serving others? Have you thought of anything? Is it cultural perception? Tradition? Legalism? Time? I'd say time's a big one. Being scared? Not wanting to? Where do our eyes need to be? Do they need to be on what needs to be done, or do we, they need to be on Jesus? If they're on Jesus, will it help us to do what needs to be done? I don't know. Is that confusing? Have it muddied the waters? Let's first have our eyes on Jesus. Here's the point. First, have our eyes on Jesus and allow him to guide us to do what those things are that need to be done. Because sometimes what needs to be done is simply and powerfully overwhelming, isn't it? Looking at sometimes at the things that haven't been done can be overwhelming. You know, there's always going to be hiccups to our work and to our, our plans and our ministry. There will always be. I mean, I remember working on the ranch there and uh, start to do something simple, right? Try to do something that shouldn't take very long. And that old uh, red brockle face would jump the fence. Now, instead of just getting her in, you got to get her back in to get her in. And then you got to fix the fence. Because she usually didn't make it over. How do you handle that? There's always hiccups. There's always problems. Or, you know, you're just simply going to fix the vehicle. You're going to do one little thing, and then the, the bolt breaks. Have you been there? It's rusted down. It won't work. Or, or are you going to take care? you got to do something in the kitchen, and you thought everything was ready. Everything's clean. You go in the kitchen. It's a mess. 
So before you get to what you wanted to do, now you got to do everything else, right? You know, opposition and difficulties, snafus, problems, whatever they are, sometimes they're passive, they come alongside, and sometimes they're head on. And what I want to encourage you in is Jesus knows far greater than we do of the difficulties of life getting in the way of what he is trying to do, getting in the way of what we are trying to do. Trust in him, keep your eyes on him, and follow his lead. Uh, let's look at the perplexities. Now, now the responses of the religious leaders, because we kind of got into that they, were, they opposed him, they should have seen him. Let's look at the perplexities to Jesus' ministry. Um, and first, look at 1120, and we'll go a little faster here. I kind of got sidetracked for just a moment, but 1120. Um, and again, I encourage you to go back and read the passages. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. And so earlier, I mean, earlier this year in January, we were talking about when Jesus sent the disciples out, they went out and they were doing all these mir the miraculous things and pointing to, to Jesus, pointing to the gospel of the kingdom. And then we come back and we look at Jesus. And after all of this has been taking place, and after Jesus continues to proclaim the, 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 the same message that he is here, that look, turn to him, and they're still rejecting him. And so uh, he's talking to Chorazin and Bethsaida. They just rejected his miracles in verse 21. And, and he says, You're gonna, you did not repent. You should have repented. You know, Tyre and Sidon, who have been judged before, they would have repented a long time before you guys have. Your hearts are so stinking hard. <laughs> There's no repentance. We could go back, uh, go 12, 12, and 13. How much more valuable then is a man who is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand, and it was restored to normal like the other. And so here again in chapter 12, he's talking, and he has these religious leaders, these Pharisees, who are upset with him because he's breaking the Sabbath, as we read later on. But he, and, and verse 8, he says, you know, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus is pointing out here, I'm going to do it anyway. So specifically on the Sabbath, he heals this man. And, and the response of the religious leaders is not to repent and look, turn to Jesus. But their response is really disappointing. That's what I want you to get. I know we're jumping around, but I want you to see overall there's a lot of disappointing responses to Jesus' ministry. A powerful ministry. They did not believe. And, and we could go back to 11, 15, and 20. Uh, 11, 15 through 20. Um, Jesus points out they did not believe John the Baptist when he came and preached. And now they, they won't believe in the Son of Man. And John, you know, he was out in the desert just eating you know, locusts and honey and, and in his robe and living out there a destitute life. You know, he was somewhat ascetic that is you know denying a lot of the worldly things and jesus comes along he's not living high on the hog which is probably not kosher to say in comparison but anyway he, he he's 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 his ministry is different he doesn't keep from eating good food and drinking good drinks and and so they're saying oh well john he was this way and jesus is this way and we reject both of them it doesn't matter how they're going to come in which way they're going to do their ministry, they're rejecting both of their words. <coughs> In 
They didn't accept him. They didn't accept Jesus or his miracles. And in 12, 12 through 14, again, they, they just denied Jesus. There's no belief. Go to uh, 1357. Look at 1357, the midst of the parables um, here that I want to come back and, and preach on some of these here sometime. But 1557, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to, to them, a prophet, that is, he came and was teaching in his own area that he grew up they're like oh this is a carpenter's son and don't we know his sisters and the brothers and and so they rejected him and he said a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief they'd already made up their mind they took offense at him though in verse 57 they took offense at jesus In this passage, it's because they think they know who he is and what family he comes from. And in 1238, jump back, 1238. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Well, what has he been doing? Now, of course, we have different religious leaders coming at different times, having heard different things. But still, wasn't it enough for him? In 1238 and 16.1, look at 16.1. We're flipping all over the place here. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and tested Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. What more do you want? Jesus had cast out demons. He had healed many. In 1232, they rejected and blasphemed the Holy Spirit. By not accepting his work and saying it was by the power of Beelzebul in verse 27 of 12. uh, As he cast demons out in that passage. And so there's blasphemy of the spirit. They did not believe the works of the Holy Spirit at that time. And in 16.1, the last chapter just ended with the feeding of the 4,000. Remember the Jews had compassion on the, the, the masses and... Fed him a Hershey bar? No, he didn't feed him a Hershey bar, right? But they wanted more proof. Maybe they had heard this and they came and they hadn't seen it. They want a sign. Where's the sign? Disappointing responses, right? That's what I want you to see. Is that I? Whoa, I got lost. Where are we? Here at Tallinn. Welcome. And Jesus has gone through a lot of disappointing responses to his ministry. And Jesus has also gone through a lot of devastating losses. And in this one, I would like to take you, but we're not gonna, going to do that. But just think about John being thrown in prison, who had declared that Jesus, who had baptized Jesus, being thrown in prison. And then John is killed. Everybody has devastating losses. I don't, you know, Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus knows a lot. We're uncertain as to how much, you know, um, as he is moving forward. Because, you know, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, even though he is God, he did not use all of his godly attributes while he was walking this earth. Uh, But... There's devastating losses. We do know that even if we would go to John chapter 11 with Lazarus, Jesus wept 
devastating losses. Even though with Lazarus, it was a part of the plan, there's also discouraging progress, slow progress. With these verses, I was wanting to point you to (laughs) the failure of the disciples, and we're probably all familiar at the weak responses, and in Sunday school class with the one group we were looking uh, at, they were all focused on who's going to rule with Jesus, and they should have seen these other things, and then they they weren't able to cast the demons out, and on and on we find here in Matthew, uh, after Jesus hears and about John's um, death, he goes off and prays by himself, and then after he'd fed the, the 4,000, he had been off praying by himself, but at one point the disciples go across uh, the lake, a sea of Galilee, and then a storm comes up, and Jesus goes walking across the water, and then then it, he says, hey, you know, and they're, whoa, a ghost. And then Jesus, uh, Peter says, oh, if it's you, Jesus, call me to come out. And so he starts out there. Hey, that's good. That's not discouraging. And then he begins to take his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? He begins to sink. A lot of disbelief. They're growing. But wouldn't you want the disciples to grow just a little bit faster in their faith? especially when they're walking with Jesus, the Messiah. Don't be too critical. (laughs) I would utterly fail, right? Don't you think Jesus had some discouraging things happen that progress maybe wasn't taking place as fast? Uh, Of course, Jesus knows everything. But I just want to point you to the fact that the negatives are positives in the hands of Jesus. And maybe... Uh, You should know this story. Remember that Thomas Edison, inventor of many things, he had made a thousand unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb when a reporter asked, how did it feel to, to fail a thousand times? Edison replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. That's about like me when I'm trying to get a bolt out of an engine, it breaks off, and then I try to get the tap screw, you have to drill a hole in and get the tap screw in, it keeps breaking off, and finally, eventually, you get it out, and I said, I didn't fail in all of that, but I did have a lot of extra steps, a lot of extra steps. Why couldn't it just happen in the the two minutes it should have took to take it out in the first place, right? And we're like, why? My patience gets away from me, and I'm like, ah. Edison had a lot more patience than I did. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. Good way to look at it. Sumner Redstone says, Great success is built on failure, frustration, even catastrophe. I think the Bible, especially when we look at Romans chapter 8, points us to the fact spiritual maturity comes with failure, frustration, and even catastrophe. Ouch. You know, life's not easy. But remember, God is good all the time. And let's not be uh, discouraged so much, frustrated so much, that we don't give Jesus the negatives and let him turn those into positives. Let's not sit back because of all the discouragement 
and let life pass us by without getting our hands dirty from, with ministry, with the tasks at hand. A.W. Tozer, and I should have put this on the screen for you, said, How utterly terrible is the current idea that Christians can serve God at their own convenience. How utterly terrible is the current idea that Christians can serve God at their own convenience. I want us to be a church that knows Jesus intimately. Have you placed your full faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are you walking with him every day? Are your eyes fixed on him or have you like Peter began to look at the waves and you're beginning to sink? Let's pray. Let's live for him. and Let's tell others about him. So let's know him and know what he wants from us that he wants us just to follow him. And that means ministry, people. That means that other people are more important than our own time, more important than our own projects. Let's be a people of prayer. We have to saturate everything with prayer. Walk with Him daily. Live for Him and live walking with Him daily. Let's proclaim. There's dual meanings with all these words up there. Okay? To know, pray, live, proclaim. I hope that you get the idea of knowing and having that intimate relationship with Jesus. Remember last week we talked about a dance. And that you live for him, proclaiming him and how you live. And then you proclaim him with what you say. But there's several meanings with those words up there. I hope that you're walking with him daily. And even if you're discouraged like I've been at times, that you don't let it stop you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us. We know that you will seek to guide us, that we would be sensitive to your leading, Lord. That's what we pray and that we would be bold and brave to do what it is you're calling us to do, um, that we would be sensitive to that leading. And Lord, that I just ask your blessing upon each one as they go out. We thank you for the simple blessings in our lives. Help us not to overlook those uh, because of some discouragements or difficulties. Um, I ask, Lord, that you just bless each one and guide and direct us as we leave today. May you be glorified in all that we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name. This time we'll take up.